Hi, welcome to the Unseen Life Experience. I'm your host, Womboike, a storyteller and marketing and communications professional. Did you know that 16% of the world's population experience disability? That's one in six of us. But the truth is, anyone can become disabled at any time, which is why we need to do better as a society. Join me as I tell the stories of African people living with disability. But first, we'll start with my story. So earlier this year, in March to be specific, my husband and I were involved in a car accident. It started like an ordinary day. The one thing I really remember about that day was I was watching Nairobi Diaries um, and my husband had to really rush me. He's like, we're getting late. We ran our errands. Um, we started at around one. We were finishing at around four. So we started making our way to Nakuru. The aim was to go see flamingos. I could not remember the last time I'd seen flamingos. And my husband and I have been married for almost two years now. And we're really outdoorsy people. Uh, while we were dating, we climbed Mount Kenya together. Like that's the kind of <laughs> couple we are. So it had been a really long time since we'd been camping. We'd actually invested in a rooftop tent. So that was going to be the very first day we were going to try it out. Um, so it had just been installed. We started making our way down to Nakuru. So the accident happened between 5.30 p.m. and 6. Now, uh, the story that I'm going to be telling you is actually um, a recollection of also my husband's side of the story because I don't remember a lot of what happened. Um, that was just how, what happened to me, right? So we're driving, um, it started drizzling and it started getting dark. And on your way to Gilgil, um, I don't know how to explain this, but the road sort of like bends at a car um, and there's a partition. So all I remember is I was on my phone. I think I just posted an Insta story. I was on my phone and I remember realizing that we are on the wrong lane and I quickly asked my husband what's happening and he said I think we've lost control of The story is we lost control and we actually hit a petroleum tanker and the one thing I want to say before I even go further is it's a miracle I'm here. It's a miracle we survived the accident. Um, so all I remember, we're losing control. There was impact. I don't remember that part. I just remember waking up and looking around and seeing a lot of people crowded the car, uh, surrounding the car. I remember there's one man, if I saw him today, I would know that was him. That is the person I sort of like my eyes connected with. Um, I don't remember a lot about that part. The next thing I remember was I woke up and I was lying on the ground. And this whole story, honestly, I can't say this is enough, is a miracle. So the things that have been patched up to me um, was that immediately the impact happened. 
a lady came, a good Samaritan, uh, she's called Phyllis. Um, she came and she talked to my husband. So my husband was awake for the whole experience, though he also doesn't remember quite a bit. So she came and she asked him for someone's number she, she could call to inform them of what's happened. And he gave her our my brother-in-law's number and told, and told her, call Charles, um, he'll know what to do. So at this time, um, a lot of Kenyans have gathered and they're trying to decide on how to get us out. Um, so my side was really badly damaged. The door could not open. Um, they opened my husband's side and they pulled him out. Um, at this point, we didn't know this, but he, the steering wheel had actually crushed both his legs. Um, so he's carried out um, and then I am carried out and I'm placed on the ground. I'm unconscious at this point. So there was a lot of traffic at this point and there was a man who travels that route quite a lot and he just said, he told himself that that wasn't normal and he needed to go check on what was happening ahead. So he's a trained journalist and he also um, has done a first aiding course. So he got there, there's a policeman who's trying to like control and, you know, control traffic, control people all around. And he just went up to the cop and he said, um, I'm a trained journalist, showed him his media card and said he knows first aid and can he help? Uh, there was something that happened between the policeman and him, like there was just rapport, they understood each other and he was like, yeah, go, go help, go sort it out. And he, he was actually dressed like a plains, plains clothes policeman, um, as he tells us, because he went there and he like chased people away. So at this point, um, I had dislocated and fractured my wrist. I didn't know this at this point, but I remember lying on the ground and looking at my arm and it was like this. So I had a watch and my wrist was like completely like this. So, you know, so I remember looking and thinking, whoa like what's happening and i could feel that there was some intense pain on my hip but i didn't know if it was my hip i didn't know if it was my leg i didn't know if it was my back so the first thing that came to my mind was spinal cord injuries and i told myself try turn your head and if you can turn it i think you're okay so i turned my head and i could move and i was like okay i tried wiggling my toes and i think i could feel them but i didn't have serious cause for concern at that point. So the Good Samaritan uh, talks to my husband and then comes and checks on me. And I just asked him, how is my husband doing? And he said, he's fine. Uh, he tells us now that we were both asking about each other, which at that, at that time, you know, you, you don't know. Like I remember looking um, at the accident and seeing lights and seeing rain. It started drizzling um, and it started getting cold. And the Good Samaritan came to talk to me and he asked me, how are you doing? And I said, I'm cold. And I asked him, be honest with me, how far is the ambulance? So earlier this year uh, for Valentine's Day, actually my husband had gifted me um, a road rescue package. So he bought um, a road rescue package and it was quite affordable uh, for two cars. So he also um, had a work benefit of an app, a security app that is installed on your phone. and you can press a button to call for either medical um, help or security. So he'd explained to the Good Samaritan like what to do, what to press, and um, that's how we're able to get an ambulance. I'm telling you the power of tech is 
it's quite amazing um so again i lost consciousness so i kept losing consciousness um throughout this whole situation i don't remember the ambulance getting there um i don't remember the ride to the hospital but we got to hospital the one thing that i remember of that night is you know when you're watching um medical tv shows and there's this scene where the person is being reeled and there all these like hospital lights i remember seeing those hospital lights like that that that's based on truth <laughs> that part right there and i remember also being placed on the x-ray table and it was so painful like i was in intense pain so it was just a whirlwind and the next thing i know is it was the next day like my memory has a lot of blanks but i wake up the next day i've got so much medication pumped in me so i'm not really myself if you know what i mean <laughs> and um at this point family has been notified people have made their way from nairobi to nakuru um and i remember seeing my brother and asking him about my nieces and my nephew for me like i was just out of it it was just i'm seeing my brother i'm just like wow and i knew he had um an event that day so i didn't really understand the next day i'm told as people would come into the hospital room i would just say i just wanted to see flamingos i just wanted to see flamingos so at this point i think i was kind of blaming myself because if i didn't want to see flamingos we wouldn't have gone on this trip you know like all these things are going through your head so one thing i want to say about the scene of the accident it was so bad someone had taken a picture and it had been posted on my three route this is a twitter page in case you don't know so the accident was posted of course the blood the number plate and people started writing rip like that's how bad it was and someone who was driving along that way took a picture and he looked at it and he said i know who's this, whose car this is so he called my husband's okay that's it i need a second <laughs> So something about that whole situation someone who was driving along that road took a picture looked at it and said he knew this car so he called our mutual friend um who's called Stone and he asked Stone he's like isn't this your boy Osband my husband um isn't this his car and he looked at the picture and he's like yeah this is him what's going on So he calls my husband's phone at this point and the good samaritan had it. So the good samaritan explains to him what's happening at this point Stone has put the phone on speaker. He's with his wife who's a medical doctor, Dr. Michelle. So um Michelle just goes into doctor mode, um asks the good samaritan about the extent of our injuries. From what she understood, um she knew it was serious but she didn't know how serious. So she decided to call her medical friends who work around Nakuru or have been around Nakuru. So then they were able to advise her on which hospital to take us to. So again, the miracles of this day. So when the ambulance came, that's how my husband was able to tell them which hospital specifically to take us. Um so it was it was just an absolutely I think you have to see the photos to understand the extent of the accident. But one thing that I remember was when my brother talked to the policeman the next day, the first thing the policeman asked him is "Wako," which in case you don't know Swahili, 
means are they there? It's like asking, are they still alive? And then my brother says, yes, Wako. And the cop asks, what are Wawili? Like both of them survived that accident. The policeman himself was quite surprised. So one thing aside from purely God's grace that helped us survive was, I think the fact that we had worn um, safety belts. Um, one thing about it was my phone was found on the back tires of the petroleum tanker that we hit. How it got there, man, I don't know. I don't know. The accident was really bad. Um, at this point, uh, when I'm coming to the next day, um, there's a lot of family that have come to like see the accident. One thing that I learned was for people who saw the photos of the accident first, um, they came expecting the worst. I remember there's one cousin of mine called Brian and he was with another cousin called Isaac. I remember seeing their faces as they walked into that hospital room and I will never forget the looks on their faces. It was so much sadness and I could see the fear in their eyes. I think one thing I want to talk about was the whole emergency situation at the hospital. So once we got there, um, the hospital needs our medical details before they can start, um, like our insurance details before they could start working on us. And this was really frustrating for the people who were there at this point. So uh, they gave my names and uh, they were able to find our, our details, but they kept saying that the insurance could not retrieve all the information that they needed. And they then asked the family to give them a hundred thousand Kenya shillings in cash, uh, as sort of like as a deposit or a security, just in case anything happened. So they hadn't specified that it was cash. So the family started like gathering funds, um, to make this payment. And then once they had the money on M-Pesa and they go, they're like, okay, which number should we send this to? The hospital says, no, actually we need it as cash. It's like 7.30, 8.30 PM at night. Like, and these are not people from the area, so they don't know where to go. So that was like a really, really stressful situation. We got to find out later that the hospital actually hadn't um, sent the insurance, all the details that they needed um, to, to properly retrieve my details. Um, something else was my NHIF was not up to date. Um, so if there's one thing I would tell Kenyans and Africans, if you have um, sort of like a body that helps, um, I don't know if the word is alleviate, but lessen the cost of the hospital, I think you should take it. So make sure your NHIF is up to date. Um, so my family was fine because mine was not up to date. And then um, eventually they were able to get um the whole insurance sorted and I was taken care of. One other thing that was really crazy to me was last year I had had to undergo some surgery and while I was leaving the hospital, we had a fight with the insurance company. And it, it seemed very unfair to me because we had paid um, what we needed to pay and they were just basically trying to get out of paying um, for what they needed to. So at this point, my husband got so frustrated and he told them, you know what, if you don't want to pay, that's fine, but just put it in writing, write an email to us and break it down why you're not going to pay this money. And when, once they had that, once they had that, he wanted it in written form. They were like, okay, they called us like 15 minutes later. They were like, you know what, we're going to pay, we're going to pay for it, you know, like 
let's just end this. So I went home and I remember telling him we need to upgrade our medical cover um, just in case anything happened. So the reason um, I didn't change medical insurance actually was because I don't know if it's the same in other African countries, but um, in case you want a maternity benefit, you have to wait at least a year before the insurance can pay for for your maternity um, insurance or maternity hospital bill. So because we're married, I was just like, you know, anything can happen at any point, just taking precaution. So I told him, you know what, we're not ready to leave because we need this maternity thing. Um, however, let's upgrade the medical scheme just to give us a bit more to cushion ourselves in case of anything. So when I think back at it, I'm just like, did God know that this was going to happen? Um, was it just like things slowly happening leading up to this one point? Um, so we didn't have much of a fight with the insurance after that. But actually, one thing that I have to say was um, my husband's sister was so mad at how um, everything was happening with on the first night with the medical um, insurance people that she went to work. She had to work the next day and she she said it out loud. She's like, I'm so stressed. I can't believe that this insurance is doing anything. Might anyone know someone big in this insurance who we can talk to? And luckily, she was able to get a contact. She wrote an email and explained the situation. And this person really made sure that we got um, one of the high-ranking people in the organization to take care of us. And again, it's really sad that uh, it's based on who you know. But then for me, I feel like this was just a miracle. Like we've seen, we've seen God's hand <laughs> so much in our story. So the next day I wake up and I have a really big cast on my hand and I have a lot of bandages on my leg and also on my stomach I have um, really big bandages and also I had two tubes sort of like draining blood onto a, a container. Um, I'm just trying to explain it as best as I can. Uh, so. I mean, I can't rotate the hand past here, like it can't go, Ugh, it's painful. Um, so this is the, this is my final, what is it called? <clears throat> wrist support, hopefully. And I broke and dislocated my wrist and I broke my leg, one leg. Uh, I'm waking up, the doctor is explaining everything that's happening, but he tells me that the worst is really over and now it's just healing, but it's going to be a long road. One thing I'll never forget was I had to do physio. I had to start physio, learning how to walk the very next day. It's just part of the type of um, procedure that I went through. So because I broke my leg, um, they had to put a metal rod, which I'm now living with. One thing that the doctor has said is that it's possible to remove the metal rod, however, that's a discussion that can only be had after two years. And then there are a bunch of tests that need to be done because there's a risk of breaking the leg again as the rod is being removed. So yeah, it's, it's just literally one day I was fine and the next day I wasn't. A bit of my life before the accident, I was really, really into fitness. In January, actually I climbed Mount Ruenzori so the point of doing that was I wanted to climb the highest three mountains in Africa, which I've now done. Um, I used to be really fit. I discovered running in December last year while I was 
practicing to climb the mountain or training. Um, and I fell in love with running. I had joined a running community. Um, I used to do CrossFit. I used to work out at least four times a week. So I was very active. Um, and now I can't do a lot of those things for, for a period, I really hope. Um, but yeah, that was my life before the accident. And to some extent, I really feel that being fit helped with my healing journey. So I remember telling the doctor, um, the physiotherapist actually, who was trying to teach me how to walk again, that it felt like doing squats. <laughs> like sitting and standing felt like doing squats, but it was very slow. Um, I was in a lot of pain. It was also very hard because I needed to use two crutches. And remember, I have um, a cast on this hand. So I actually had to figure out how to put my arm like this on the crutch and use this part sort of like a support on this hand. And then on this other hand, um, I could hold the crutch and try and walk. And I couldn't eat uh, for the first three days because of the damage to my intestines. So I was on a drip and I was being given a lot, of a lot of liquids. So it was a very uncomfortable experience. And one thing I remember was feeling like my body was not my own because I'm so used to having so much energy. And I remember, especially the first three weeks, it was just a lot of sleeping. Like your body is just extremely tired. Um, the Good Samaritan came to visit us a couple of times and there's one story he tells me of how he came in. We had a conversation and then I looked at him and I was just like, okay, I'm tired. I'll see you. <laughs> and I just turned my head and literally blacked out. Um, the hospital experience was, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but one thing that I will say is it really made me feel, that period really made me feel very married. <laughs> So my in-laws were able to get my husband and I to share a room. They really asked the hospital to just make this provision. And I think that was a really good thing because we had each other to talk to. We couldn't sleep a full night, so we would sleep. And you look at, you look at him and I could see his phone light on. I'm like, oh, you're awake. And then we'd talk. Um, it, was, it was a really hard time, honestly. I wouldn't wish anything like that on anyone. So I stayed in the hospital for a period of a week and my husband was there for two weeks. Um, so he had broken both legs um, and two ribs. So for him, the process of leaving the hospital, because in case you don't know, if you break a rib, it's really hard to breathe um, and it's really hard to move because any small movement, it really hurts. So he chose to stay in hospital for longer. We were extremely lucky that we could even um, say how long we wanted to stay um, but it got to a point where we just realized that being home would be the best thing for both of us because the doctors had done all they could and honestly it was just a healing it was just about time honestly time time heals time you know so um, leaving the hospital we had to get an ambulance because obviously we can't sit that was that was quite an experience so we had an ambulance taking us from Nairobi to, no, from Nakuru to Nairobi. And because we had upgraded our hospital scheme, we were able to get nursing care to come home and take care of us. And our home was like rearranged to look like a hospital. So we got hospital beds and then we each had a nurse. So I had a, a female nurse and my husband had a male nurse. 
And then we had family staying over, cooking the meals, just taking care of us. At this point, we needed so much help. Now, if you don't know what a commode is, I just want you to thank God. <laughs> because, yeah, so a commode is like a chair with like a hole where you use it like a toilet and it has a bowl to collect everything, but then someone has to come and empty it. So that's just the level of the level of injuries that we had where you can't even go to the bathroom alone. I remember um, going to the bathroom was such an audacious task for me. Uh, so the bed would be moved closest to the corridor and then I would have to walk from the corridor to the bathroom with the nurse walking right behind me just in case I fall because I don't have much balance. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but your hands really help you with your balance as you walk. So because my because of the crutch, um, I did not have <laughs> my balance was not the best. So the nurse had to walk really close to me just for extra support, just in case of anything. And anytime I would get to the bathroom, I would be so breathless. I would actually have to ask for juice, for sugar to give me energy. Like that's how weak and out of it I was. And yeah, so this went on um, for a while, but then as the weeks would go by. I would feel myself getting stronger. Um, my appetite obviously was not the best because of the injuries that I had. And then I also had to have a wound specialist coming to check on my wounds every so, like I think at first it was every three days. With the damage to my intestines, um, they had to put this drainage pipes like to drain out the blood. And then when I left the hospital, they had to take out the, the pipes, but then they had to leave the wound open to sort of like drain itself. And then after a while, like a month, I would then need to have another surgery to close up the wound. So, man, the, the care that I had to receive, the I slept on my back for a period of three months. Like the appreciation for your body, for the little movements that you're able to make, I had never thought about it that much. I had never thought about how much goes into being able to just turn your body at night and to also just sleep a whole night without any interruptions. You just don't know what you have until it's gone. You know, that statement really sounds like just a cliche, but right now I have so much appreciation for every little movement that my body is able to make. I really had to have a lot of physio um, from the start my injuries were so bad, like when I sit on the bed, I couldn't lift my legs. I had to have someone lift my legs from the ground and onto the bed. And physio started like really slow, really easy. Um, at this point, it was just like taking um, an elastic band and putting it on the leg and just slowly doing this, um, strengthening the legs, strengthening the muscles, trying to wake those muscles up. And... It was just a really hard time. I went from using a wheelchair to using two crutches to using one crutch and then a walking cane. And then at this point where I am uh, as of today, I can walk without the cane. Um, however, if there are like a huge amount of stairs, I would need the cane just for extra support. It's been literally learning how to walk all over again. It's, it's been quite a journey. I think we've come to learn how much we mean to people. You don't really know how many people care about you until this point. We had visitors almost every day for three good months. It got to a point we had to say no. 
So there's an element of care and there's also an element of curiosity. So your friends have all seen the photos of your accident from somewhere and they just want to know what are they okay? Wakosawa. Um and we had a lot of people coming to visit so this is one of the things this is one of the good things that came out of this experience. Um it's really hard to find those positive things but they're there. And it really brought our families close together. So I I think for the first year of our marriage especially everyone's just giving you space to learn each other to enjoy each other. Um we hadn't lived together until our wedding night. So everything was, you know, completely new living this element of living together. And we're really grateful for how families came together, how close we've all become um and just how we all appreciate the gift of life. Um it got to a point though we had to tell our families like that's it for visitors. Um we felt like I don't know if you know like at the ACK show how there these like the, there's this thing where you pay to go see a mermaid or to go see a lady who only has a head but doesn't have a body um and that's what we felt we just felt like people were just coming to stare and just be like yo what's happening so after the 45 days um after the nursing care ended and we had to return like the hospital beds and everything we also asked our families to just like give us some space we only had one person staying with us from it being three people staying with us um, at any given point because we just wanted our lives to go back to normal when i think about our healing process i think the fact that we were together with my husband we were two of us going through the same thing we were able to sort of like feed off each other's energies and also being strong for the other person and i remember our nurses being quite surprised at at the speed of which we were healing but it got to a point where just like no we just want life to go back to normal as soon as it possibly can um i remember when we were home at this point we've taken time off of work there's nothing to do other than watching tv and there's one movie i was watching and there was a car accident as the opening scene and watching it dramatized like watching it performed it's it's just such a scary experience because you've lived that and now you're watching it. So at this point we realized we did have some trauma and we needed to seek counseling. Um while at hospital they had tried to get us some counseling um and at the time we felt that it was very pastoral. Um nothing wrong with that, but we wanted it to be from a point of this has happened, how do we get past this? and then introduce some aspect of how did you survive this um and and I am of the Christian faith and I identify it as just being a whole miraculous situation but I think counseling um is very important anytime you go through any major life transitions um of which this was one and around support um I learned that there are people who will be there for you in ways that you would never have expected one of my cousins left her family and came and stayed with us for a very long time um and i just remember thinking how selfless that was and also in my i remember my nieces and nephews coming to visit us and as children them seeing what's happening from their point of view and i asked my niece one of my nieces she's called Warugoro 
I asked her, um, so tell me about how you were informed of the accident. What, what did you think? And then she just remember, I just remember her telling me, Tata, when Baba was telling me, something over here, I was feeling something over here on my nose, like it was getting prickly. She was so scared about what he was about to say the minute he had um, Tata Wamboy, the minute he mentioned Tata Wamboy. And the kids, seeing the kids' expressions every time we've seen them since the accident, it's been amazing because they look at us and they're like, Tata, you can now do this. You can now do this. You're walking, you're standing, you're sitting. It's been, <laughs> it's been quite an experience watching it from children's point of view. But I think it's really important to be honest with kids um, about what is happening. Because they, they know that something's off and they just need to understand it. Um, and I feel like now my nieces and nephew, anytime they see someone with a crutch, something will register and they'll, they'll be able to empathize with those people. One of my very close cousins, um, I remember her telling me once she realized I could walk a little, she told me, you know what, we need to leave the house. You need to go for a meal outdoors. And she took me and just being outside, being able to be outside, that was really beautiful. And I realized that as a society, it's, it's two ways. One, there are people who really care. And two, there are people who don't care at all. So there are some restaurants that I've gone to and the waiter comes and he's like, hi, I'm sorry. And I'm like, for what? And he's like, I can see you've had an injury. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And they give you like the closest um, chair that's going to be easiest for you to sit in. And then the other times before I was comfortable driving, um, I would enter an Uber and I had the deepest heart to hearts with some Uber drivers about the situation and what was happening and people sharing their personal stories and their stories of healing and overcoming similar incidences. There was one Uber driver who was like, I'll just say it in English. Um, he was explaining the story of how he broke his leg once and he was just like, anytime I see anyone with a cast of any form, um, I'm just so empathetic because I know what that has um, been like. So the experience of being in a car again was really scary. Um, it was really weird because I couldn't sit at the back and I didn't want to sit at the front. Um, but the front is the only thing that made sense. And then I couldn't wear the safety belt because of the injury that I had. So that was really scary. And I spoke to one of my doctors about it. And he said, you know, it's, it's situational. So he just advised me that I have to be comfortable in a car. He said, I just need to enter the car and be driven around, around the neighborhood, and then slowly start increasing the distance of which I drive or I'm driven. And that was, it, it slowly worked, but I think only now, it's been about two months since I've started driving again. Um, and now I'd say I'm comfortable. Although every time I enter the car, I just know that, you know, there's this saying like you can leave the house and not get back home safely. So every time I start a trip now, I just remember to ask God to please give me Johnny Masis and, you know, just protect me. And when I think about accessibility, every time we needed to go to hospital. So at first I couldn't even go in a normal car. And we started then the, the journey of looking for accessible transportation in Nairobi. So we found uh, a few services that have um, cars where a wheelchair is able to go in, um, but they're quite pricey. 
So I remember we found this company um, that have a Noah with a chair that sort of like springs out. And that car for half a day, so we would use them to take us to hospital. And for half a day, it would cost 5,500 Kenya shillings. So this is to pick you up from the house, take you to hospital, wait for you to be finished, and then bring you back home. And if you have like, let's say, hospital visits every day for, for one reason or another, it, it can get quite expensive. So that's actually the thing that made my husband start driving very fast. He, <laughs> He started driving um, before he could even stand um, from the wheelchair. So he was on a wheelchair for two months and he started driving within that second month just because he had to go back to the office and it was not feasible to use um, the taxi service that we had found. So I was very nervous around him driving again and I asked our physiotherapist um, to just go with him um, on a small drive and just confirm that would give me peace of mind and she went on a drive with him and she was like, you know what, he's fine to drive because it's the upper part of his legs that have broken. And we've been working on the strengthening um, of the legs. Remember the, the elastic band and pulling it? So he was able to drive. Um, what would happen would be, I would go, we live uh, a bit on a hill. So, and we parked the car at the bottom of the hill. So I would go down the hill, get into the car and then go up and get out of the car and then he would move from the wheelchair and lift use his body weight to lift himself onto the chair and then someone would need to fold up the wheelchair and put it at the back and yeah he would be able to drive um so it's been it's been quite the journey and i will never forget the stares that we received there's one particular incident our first date out of the house my husband was still on the wheelchair and I was on a crutch. We went into a restaurant. We obviously had to look beforehand to just make sure that it was accessible. And we got there and I'm so used to people coming to our help. Like they're clearly not able to move around easily. So people would always come and ask, hi, how are you? What do you need? And I remember getting to this restaurant and no one talked to us for a good eight minutes. I was so mad at this point and I was telling my husband, let's get out of here. They clearly don't care. Um, luckily, we were able to get someone's attention. The restaurant was full. It was a Sunday afternoon. Um, and the waiter says, okay, you know what? I don't have a table for you right now, but let me look and organize for you. So eventually he came to us and he's like, cool, I've gotten a table, follow me. Oh my God. <laughs> going down that ramp. So going down that ramp to the table that we were going to sit on. I just remember everyone sort of like staring. It felt like the restaurant came to a standstill and everyone just turned back and stared at us. And at this point, I just wanted to shout, stop staring. I wanted to cry. It was the most uncomfortable that I felt in this whole situation. But we got our table, we got to enjoy our first date out. When I think about the things that I couldn't do while I was very injured, one of the things was showering. So we had to have a nurse. I had to have a nurse help me get clean every day. And then eventually it got to a point, once I had had my second surgery to close up the intestines, 
um, close up the wound. And the nurse said, okay, I think it's time for you to start um, learning how to shower alone again by yourself. That was so scary. And we had to invest in a shower chair because you don't have all the energy to stand. And I remember that first shower, the appreciation of just water being able to run down my body. That was just, it, it really showed me that I'm on the path to, to getting healed. While I was home, I remember thinking about my new situation, having a rod in my leg and thinking, okay, what does this mean? Will I be able to work out again? Will I be able to, you know, just walk normally again? And in searching random resources on the internet, I found a Facebook group um, of people who had gone through the exact same injury. And I remember reading that page and reading people's stories and learning so many things about how a broken leg heals. That was an eye-opening situation to the point that now, through my experience, I feel like I could be a doctor, I could be an orthopedic surgeon, and I could advise someone based off of everything I read and everything I went through. I remember while in the hospital, there was an element of bargaining with God. And I told him, God, if you save me from this situation, if I'm able to walk again. I promise I will use my voice. I will really use my voice to just speak for impact. And here we are now. This is why I'm starting this podcast. And it also has really helped me look at life from a new perspective. And the one thing I really think about is life is now. There is no more overly planning. I was such a planner. I knew what I wanted to do every month of the year this year but now I am only planning short term um, and praying that I actually get to even realize my plan and actualize my plans um, life feels so fickle it just feels now and now is the time to work on whatever dreams you have whatever goals you have it's now it's definitely been a journey of resilience I've tried to stay positive through it all um, like I said looking at the positive looking at what good things have come out of this situation. I have so much compassion for anyone going through any medical situation really. And this journey has just really shown me, like now if you saw me walking, you would barely know that I have a limp. You wouldn't know that I have any form of invisible disability. But I think we really need to speak up about invisible disabilities and visible disabilities and just understanding from someone's point of view. I remember one of the things that someone said to me while in hospital was that God loves me so much that he's not done with me yet. That's the reason that he spared me from the accident. So the one thing I want to leave you with is this. Anyone you come across could be having a visible or invisible disability. Just be kind. Just be kind. Just be kind. There's so many stories that I want to share. There's so much I want to do with this podcast. So please, wherever you're listening to this from, give it a follow. I'm also going to add a link down below in the show notes to a mailing list that you can subscribe to to be the first to know of any time we have new episodes and new stories. 